This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille. Hello, Mindful listeners. Dr. Holly Lucille here from Mindful Medicine. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us. So everybody knows of the the three numbers, 911, right? What does it mean? It means there's an emergency. And if there's an emergency, guess what? You go right for it. 911, somebody call 911, somebody call 911, right? If you see something going on, well, in my opinion, we have a huge mental health crisis emergency in our country. And I've got a guest that is going to tell us some exciting news about what we can do if we see something going on. So I'm going to bring Dr. Margie Balfour. She is a psychiatrist and a national leader in quality improvement and behavioral health care crisis. She is a chief of quality and clinical innovation at Connections Health Solutions and an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Arizona and so much more. But we're going to talk about it. Dr. Margie Balfour, welcome to the show. Hi, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, so you and I, um, when we were off of the show, prior to this show, um, we were talking about both being sequestered last week with COVID, the COVID infection. And um, yes, there is this variant that's going around that seems very highly transmissible, not as symptomatic, I guess, as some of the other variants, perhaps, but I think it brings the up the the fact that we have all been through so much in the past couple of years, so much uncertainty, so much fear and messaging infused into a whole lot of different angles about this subject. And certainly it has affected our mental health and shown a light on mental illness. And so can you talk a little bit more about your experience with this? Sure. Yes. In our crisis centers, we that's what we do is we're here for people who are having mental health crisis, mental health emergencies. And there's just been um, just an exacerbation of all of that with the isolation of COVID, the uncertainty, the how it's shown a light on some of the gaps in our safety net with stressors around that people have jobs, um, a lot of loss, you know, people have, have lost loved ones due to this pandemic. Um, and so this is really timely that we're going to have a new emergency number for people to call to get help. Um, and that number is going to be 988. And it really makes, it's, a, it's an easier, easy to remember number. And it's an alternative to calling 911 because in, in this country, if you call 911, you get a really different response if you're calling for a mental health emergency versus your typical medical emergency or fire or whatever. Um, you know, if you if you call for chest pain, you get an ambulance with people who are trained to take care of you and get you the care you need and take you to an emergency room where there'll be someone waiting for you. Well, if you call because you're having, say, suicidal thoughts, oftentimes you get the police, and that just sets things up for. I mean, first of all, that's not a, it's not a healthcare response. In um, police are getting lots of training and they do the best they can, but they are not healthcare providers, and then the only tools they really have is to, um, you know, if, if the person doesn't want to go, they can take them to the emergency room where they oftentimes can take, they take them to jail. It's just why we have people with mental health conditions are way overrepresented in our jails and prisons or, you know, tragic outcomes happen as we all know. And so having this number will allow people to connect directly to um, what used to be called the national suicide prevention lifeline. So it's a network of over, you know, around 200 call centers of people who are trained to do 
mental health counseling, suicide safety planning, suicide counseling. And a lot of those crises can be resolved over the phone. So that, that's a great first step. And then would, just like we can't think of 911 today without thinking of the response that goes with it, without the ambulances and without the emergency rooms and the trauma centers and things like that, what 988 is, is kind of hopefully going to catalyze is really a development of that kind of response for mental health crisis as well. So some some states, yeah, and, and it really is. It, it's what people need. People don't need to have the police respond to them. People don't need to be taken to an emergency room where most emergency rooms don't really, they're not really set up to take care of people with mental health crisis. Most of them don't have psychiatric uh, staff there. Um, it's, it's loud, it's noisy, it's crowded. Yeah, and there's no, I mean, and triage. People, I don't think in, in ERs would know how to triage, you know, I think a mental health crisis, you know, just as urgent as a, you know, a, a diabetic crisis. I mean, I, they don't, I don't think that they would know that. And I think that even when you're, Dr. Belfour, when you're talking about police, just the image of a police officer showing up would exacerbate a mental health crisis. Because I don't know about you. I mean, I know that we should look at a police officer and think, oh, safety. But I don't think that that is actually the image that a lot of us have when we see a police officer show up somewhere. It's more fear or what did I do wrong or what's going to happen to me. Right, exactly. And so probably the last thing, yeah, some, so the last thing somebody who's having a mental health crisis would need to actually see or, or even, gosh, just, yeah. So this is what, so is this going to be nationwide? You were, you're mentioning, and I, and I interrupted you and I'm sorry, but you were mentioning some states, but this, this crisis number of 988, is this going to be across the country? Yes, that is nationwide. And so anywhere in the U.S., if you dial 988, you will get the nearest, according to your, your, your phones and uh, area code, you will get the nearest call center with people who have they're certified by the, there's like a national standard that's being done through the, the federal substance abuse and mental health services administration. Um, so, so they're certified to and accredited to be able to do suicide counseling. And so there's a certain level of quality that you can expect and they can, like I said, they can resolve a lot of mental health crises over the phone through things like, um, you know, doing a screening, helping people make up a safety plan, helping people access resources. And for those that um, cannot be resolved on the phone, that's where it may differ by state. And so what this is doing is it's really kind of how 911 catalyzed over the course of, you know, decades, but it catalyzed the, the development of this really robust emergency response system that we have. 988 is poised to do the same for mental health. And so different, some states have um, mobile crisis teams that can come out to your house and see you instead of an ambulance or, or these multidisciplinary teams that maybe sometimes have a paramedic and a clinician with them. And the, the funding, that some of the relief packages for COVID and some of the mental health funding packages that have been coming down through Congress are giving states planning grants and money to start to stand up these sorts of services. And then for for people who need even more support, who might 
normally go to an emergency room, there are there's funding coming down for crisis centers like the ones that we operate in Arizona, where either the police can bring people or the mobile team can bring people or people can bring themselves to centers where they're set up just for psychiatric emergencies, mental health and substance use, where they're staffed by people who themselves, peer supports, who've had their own struggles with mental health and substance use and know how to how to engage with people, with psychiatrists, with nurses, with social workers, where you can get your, try to stabilize that crisis and so that they can get back home and not have to go to the hospital. Nice. This is great. I mean, I think this is, now, did this come out of what, what people who are running crisis centers like yourself are seeing from the pandemic? Is this something that was spawned from that experience of having other uh, of just seeing people in so much crisis and just having the wrong response and not n- not a caring response and not a containing response and not a helpful response it was actually put in mo- stuff something like this complicated it actually takes a while so this was put in motion back um i don't remember the exact year but some of the legislation was passed like in the 2010s um i think finally the the actual legislation to do it was like in 2016, I think it was signed. Mm. And so this is something that's been in place for a while, but it just, it's kind of like this convergence of all of these, these things that make it the exact right time, because you've got, you've got the work that's been, you know, people have been working on this now for years and it's finally coming to it. You know, it's, 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 it's head at the same time, you've got COVID and you've got this realization amongst, you know, this is a really bipartisan issue. Pretty much everybody agrees mental health is a problem. And you've got relief packages coming from COVID. And you've got the acknowledgement that COVID has really sh- shone a light on the need for, for better mental health care. And then at the same time, you've also got the social justice movements around, you know, we started off by talking about the police. And that's another thing that, you know, there's a lot of controversy around police reform and and structural racism. But everyone can agree that the police don't need to be in the business of being the default first responders Mm -mm. for a mental health emergency. And so everyone agrees on that. And so you've got um, this, the system sets up an alternative for that. And so you've got this momentum kind of converging from three different areas. And so it really is just kind of the right thing at the right time. Yeah, that is great. I mean, I, I, the, the, the convergence and the right thing at the right time could not happen at a better time. I mean, we need it so badly. And I just think that still, I mean, as you said, everybody understands this is a bipartisan issue, you know, and it just, as a clinician, it, it, it just drives me crazy because I used to think, and tell me if you, if you think I'm onto something here, even in school, when we had like our mind body medicine classes, and I'm like, why would we even talk about it's almost like in separating them out and, ta- and and telling me that there's a mind-body class makes me separate our mind and our body, period. I always had an issue with that. It's kind of like when politicians talk about the middle class, then they're kind of just saying we do have a lower class. And I'm thinking, well, that should be the issue. You just told me that we have a lower class, which I think we need to be helping and supporting you know, much more than this quote-unquote middle class. But it's those things that would drive me crazy about... Actually, you know, I know we were trying to make the connection that there is mental health and there's physical health, but to separate them and tease them out, I think just continues to do mental health harm 
because we perpetuate that separation and we don't look at people who struggle with mental illness the same way as we look at somebody who might suffer from diabetes or you know a cardiovascular issue yeah you're you're absolutely right i mean mental health and mental illness and psychiatric illness and substance use they are all just you know as important they're as you know we we talk about are they brain you know illnesses just like just you know they're body illnesses just like other illnesses are are body illnesses but at the same time too um you know all of these other illnesses it's you know, we, we learned in medical school the biopsychosocial model where it's all related. Doesn't matter what illness you're talking about, whether it's your you know, your your diabetes, which also affects your um, you know, depression and diabetes go hand in hand oftentimes. Um, your lifestyle affects, you know, how you respond to diabetes, your um and, and just like your health you know, it's it's all just tied together. And so this idea of, you're right, of putting them in these separate buckets of, oh, well, mental health, that's this weird separate thing. And we're going to talk about that separately. And then even beyond that, you know, if, if mental health is like the redheaded stepchild of medicine, and sorry to the, the gingers out there, um, you know, the substance use then is, is even, it's stigmatized even among mental health. And so, um, you know, all of these things go hand in hand together. They're they're related. You can't really treat one without the other, because um, if you ignore one, then it's just going to fester and make it impossible to treat the other. Um, and one thing where this it's important to to make sure that there is equality or parity is in the way that these these things are funded. So, um, you know, hopefully by the time this airs, this will have been been fixed. But because um, there is some legislation in Congress, but. Right now, these emergency services that I was talking about for for crisis, so the mobile teams and the and the special crisis centers that um, you know are an alternative to emergency room. Oftentimes, um, if states do have those, they're paid for by Medicaid, which is great, but private insurance doesn't pay for them. So people who get those services end up it gets covered by the public system, and so that's another isn't that amazing. Example. Yeah, where the public system is actually better sometimes than the private system, but it's like it's an emergency. So if we have parity, which we're supposed to have parity coverage for things, then these things, these services for a mental health emergency ought to be covered just the same. Yeah, it's it's so interesting that you brought bring that up because for me personally, like I have leaned into psychotherapy and analysis for a long time. Just I connected with somebody who. I was working well with and with the work that I do myself, I thought it was important for me to kind of walk my talk and also have a larger container to hold space for people that are going through their own illnesses or what have you. And for me, keeping mentally healthy was extremely, is extremely important. I shouldn't say was, is extremely important. But every time that I, you know, applied for my private insurance or I was employed for a bit, it was always that it wasn't, you know, like, oh, oh, great. So if I go to the gynecologist, I have a copay of $30. You know, I was more concerned about, um, you know, what kind of offering do you have for this type of care? And, you know, all the time, it, it was the service that got slighted by private insurance. Um, I had to fight for that type of care. I mean, presenting at the ER, calling an ambulance. No, that's that's fine. You're that will, you know, you're you're covered. No worries. But the fact that I wanted to focus on proactively my mental health, it was always something with private health insurance that just was not there. 
Yeah, and that's you know, access is a huge problem. And the better there is access, then the less people need emergency care, right? It's, you know, it's prevention. That's one of the things that we're trying to do with some of these crisis services is have urgent care where at least anyone can walk in and get their need met without having to um, navigate this really Byzantine system sometimes of trying to find people. Because a lot of, a lot of places, a lot of therapists, a lot of psychiatrists don't even take private insurance. And so it's even that much harder to, to find care. So, I um, mean, you know, anything that... Makes- yeah, you're looking at $450 a session, right. uh, a cash out of pocket. Exactly. Right. Before I went back to naturopathic medical school, I was a bachelor degree nurse and I I spent most of those years in psych nursing. And the place that I learned the most and I thought, gosh, if I ever had a mental break, I would want to go back to is Kent County, Michigan. We had a program called Assertive Community Treatment and it was a pilot program from the government. And what we would do is get people out of the hospital that were 5150 and that for folks that are listening. So they would be demanded to go to the hospital because they were a harm for themselves or, or a perceived harm for other people. And so they would be hospitalized, stabilized on psychiatric medications, but then left without any research, just like, you know, they would be discharged back to the to the public with no resources whatsoever. And so Harbinger was this place where I worked and we would get them from there and we'd call them members. And even as a nurse, I would go to work uh, every day in, in jeans and, and you know maybe a t-shirt because what I did besides medication management, um, would I, we would go out into the community and help these people with housing and employment and social security and vocational help, you name it. It was assertive community treatment, like just caring for adult mental ill folks with dual diagnosis and then some in the community. And it just was such deep work um and it just felt like because i'd worked for private um uh, for-profit psychiatric uh establishments before and it was just so different this was so caring and it was so involved and it was so comprehensive around there and it was like i i i I don't know if assertive community treatment is still a thing but gosh i wish it was it is it is actually one of the most uh researched and studied interventions that we have in mental health and the studies show that it does exactly what you said. It was actually, it was created back in the seventies when they started deinstitutionalizing people, bringing people out of the hospitals, because just as you said, there was this recognition that some people need all that support that's in the hospital. And so they said, well, we're going to create a hospital without walls where you have that interdisciplinary team and it's going to be out in the community and that's where the assertive part came in, where you're going to go out and find people. And yeah, like the studies show that you know, most states, um, through their usually through their Medicaid um, or their public mental health system, because it's really designed for people with severe mental illness who are often in the in the public system. Um, but it's it should, studies show that it keeps people out of the hospital um, so that they are able to stay in the community and um, you know and be integrated in the community. And yeah, most states have have act teams. And it's, it's one of the, like I said, it's one of the, the better things, most studied things that we have in mental health. And yeah, we've actually been doing a model similar to that, kind of like a, you know, sort of inspired by, by act um, for people coming out of the hospital and out of our crisis centers, because sort of similar thing is people like their crisis doesn't flip off like a light switch just because, you know, it's been a day or two and they've been 
you know, and then they're, they're released from the hospital or released from a crisis center. And so we have our peer supports, people who have their own um, experience with mental illness and substance use, and they meet people out in the community, drive them to their appointments. We help make sure that they have all their social determinant needs met, like help them get food boxes or help them get phones, um, you know, things like that so that we can, and then really make sure that they get smoothly transitioned to whoever's going to be their long-term outpatient care after we help them, you know, find, find who that's going to be. And because it's similar, it's, it's all about transitions and uh, making sure that people get all of their needs met and aren't just sort of thrown you know, off this cliff with the list of phone numbers and say, navigate this yourself. Yeah. And because the, then they would have, they would get the, they would get the labeled frequent flyers and, you know, and, and kind of people would, Oh, here they are again, admitted to the hospital. Like there's a frequent flyer, like, and I would hate that. So the sort of we call them familiar faces, familiar faces. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Nice. <laughs> Cause that's more positive. And what we do for them is because, I um, mean, you know, cause we have, we have, you know, every, Everyone who, um, you know, has uh, any kind of psychiatric facility or hospital, even medical hospital, has their familiar faces. And what we do with them is we we look at them as all as individuals because what we do in healthcare, you know, works for the 90%, right? But these are like the 10% that are outside that bell curve that what we're doing isn't working for them. So next time they come, we have to do something differently and we need to, and so we convene all the people that are involved in their care and say, okay, well, what is it that they actually need that they're not getting? Because the reason they're coming back is because they need something. It may mm-hmm. not be, it may not be what we question. provide, which could be frustrating, right? But they need something, and they're trying to access it the best they can. And so um, it's part of kind of a cognitive shift, too, where you're like, let's not get frustrated at them, but let's be frustrated with them, right? So, you know, it's um, what is it that nice. they need, and let's help them get yeah. it. And do and then have an individualized plan for the next time they come. And we've we've had success in um, you know decreasing the the churn of people who are who are coming back and over again. But it takes collaboration. It's not something that just any one organization can do on its own. You have to get all the people involved in the care of that person. I love it. Okay, so Dr. Margie Balfour, MD, PhD, and it's a no wonder that you were the 2021 Crisis Intervention Team Behavioral Healthcare Practitioner of the Year. Thank you so much for everything you do. Um, once again, folks that are listening, 988 is going to be the crisis, uh, mental health crisis number. Dr. Balfour, I want to ask one more question of you, if you do not mind. People who are listening, if they want to get involved, whether it's legislatively or financially or volunteering, what can people do to help this conundrum we have that is thankfully getting some attention and at least we have this 988 number that I think is going to make a huge difference, but I know we still have a lot of work to do. What can we do to get involved? Um, a couple different things. If you just want to learn more, you can go to crisisroadmap.com. Um, that's a website that is centered around a report that I helped write, um, but it, it talks about what an ideal crisis system looks like and has tips for how you can get involved in your community and how you could do a self-assessment of your community. Um, another thing is that because of these planning grants that, that went out, every state in the nation is working on planning their crisis system. And so you can find out who that is in your state and try to get involved. Another couple things is um, advocacy organizations like NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, 
They all have local chapters. That's an organization that was set up around um, for families of people with, with mental illness, but they do a lot of local advocacy. And then if you're interested in helping, um, if you're a mental health professional or, you know, um, or, or a person with lived experience and you're interested in this police response, most police agencies now have crisis intervention team training where they bring in people from the community to help train. And um, they usually have an advisory committee and you can volunteer to help with that training as well. All right, great. Those are great, great ways to get involved. Thank you so much for all of your life's work and for what you do and um, for bringing this to our attention. So 988. Mindful listeners, thanks again for um, spending part of your day with us. Um, Stay well, take care of each other and yourselves, and we'll see you next time.